You're listening to the Branches HB Podcast. Well, we are taking a little three-week detour from our series in the book of Matthew. We've been going through Matthew since about January, uh, passage by passage, chapter by chapter, but we've taken a few breaks along the way, and we're going to take a three-week break right now to enter into this series entitled Word and Deed. So I want to take some time to talk to you, and really the vision of this series is that we would speak about what it means to share the gospel in this day and age, what it means to share the gospel today with our neighbors, what it means to share the gospel through our lives, and as a community with the community around us. And, and I'm going to give away a little bit of the ending, even as I don't give away the meat of the discussion. I really believe sharing the gospel is all about us speaking about Jesus, but at the same time integrating our actions, living a life of integrity in this fellowship and also beyond this fellowship, uniting those two realities together in word and deed. So we're going to be talking about, you know, our deeds, our actions in terms of this community and how that can minister, what it means to go beyond this community in the coming weeks. This morning, we're going to be talking about talking, okay? We're going to be talking about our words because I'm going to win the Captain Obvious Award this morning. Our words are important when we're sharing the gospel, all right? Yep, I won the Captain Obvious Award right there, right? But, but let's just begin on the simplest of levels, And I'm going to make some statements and prove it through the scriptures. We can walk through it, get an understanding of the gospel. First of all, what I want us to know this morning as we begin this journey is that the gospel is a message. That's why it's important for us to use our words, because the gospel is a message. Jesus, in his ministry, was filled with messages. All right, when we started in the gospel of Matthew, the book of Matthew, in chapter 4, after Jesus is baptized, he's led into the wilderness, and then he begins his public ministry... It says this in verse 23 of chapter 4. Jesus was teaching in the synagogues. He was speaking truth. It says that he was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And, of course, demonstrating that message as well in his deeds by healing every sickness and disease. But there it is. Jesus was speaking. He was proclaiming good news. That's what the word gospel means, good news. And what's the content of that good news? What was that gospel of the kingdom that Jesus was sharing? Well, it's spoken of innumerable times in various ways throughout the scriptures. We've got a famous one that most of us are familiar with, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Right? That's one way to articulate the good news. Paul will typically open a letter in all the many letters that he's written that are captured in the New Testament. He will typically open by inserting in the greeting the gospel, the message of Jesus. Look what he says to the Galatians, chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. A lot of times you'll open up one of these letters, you'll start reading the introduction. He's just saying hi, and you'll skip over the fact that he has embedded the gospel message right from the first few moments that the letter is even being written. And of course, we have sermons, 
recorded where the gospel is presented with clarity all throughout the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, we've got the apostle Peter preaching. So, you know, we've heard from the apostle John, Paul. Now we're hearing from Peter. He's preaching to thousands around him. He says, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, what should we do? What should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So each of these examples, they illuminate something different about the gospel message. You know, God loved the world. God loved it so much he sent his son that whoever believes in Jesus won't perish. Whoever believes in Jesus is going to receive eternal life. You know, Jesus has opened us to the forgiveness of sin. He's helping us to be rescued from this evil age. Peter adds, you know, hey, be baptized, repent in the name of Jesus, and you will receive the forgiveness of sins and the promised Holy Spirit, God's living presence in your life. These are all different messages, right? But they're all different messages of good news. It's all gospel. So the gospel of Jesus, the message of good news is, first of all, just that, a message, but it is also a message demanding a response. This last week, we kind of experienced, again, actually the last couple of weeks, the advent of extracurricular activities for our children. Our children have finally arrived at the age where now our schedule is set a year in advance because... They're all involved in something, right? And now the competition, the duel between church life and fellowship and sports and dance. Now that arm wrestling is going to occur, the church will win out, all right? We already know it's going to have the victory in the end over our schedule, but very challenging stuff. So we're sitting there at the uh, Tuesday night soccer practice, and it's mostly the dad's on the sidelines there in our little lawn chairs, you know, at the end of the day, kind of relaxing, watching the kids practice. And the coach, she comes over to us and she says, okay, guys, and she's been saying this for weeks, right? We need an assistant coach. But this time she doubled down. She said, okay, we need an assistant coach or we will not continue on into this season. And I want you to know us dads, not one of us moved. Not one of us breathed. Not one of us blinked. Not one of us even you know, glanced at the others. We were frozen in time for 15 minutes because we felt, you know, any movement would have just been you volunteering, right, for the role. And, and, and you know what? There wasn't that ability to respond that way. I mean, it was either you're in or you're out, guys. You know, that's, she was demanding a response. She said, we're not going any further. The non-response, not a response. You're either saying, I'm not going to carry the responsibility or I'm all in, let's do this moving forward. And, and Jesus was the same way. I mean, it was very divisive. It was, it was a moment in time, a fork in the road. When he started his preaching, he said, repent. There's nothing less than change your whole life. <laughs> change your whole life. Quit living in rebellion against God and start living for God. What did Peter say in Acts chapter 2 when he's presenting the gospel? He says, repent, believe, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. You know, there's a great story in Acts chapter 16 where the ministry workers, Paul and Silas, they've been put in jail because they're sharing this gospel message. 
And while they're in jail at midnight, they're singing hymns about the gospel, about Jesus, and everyone's listening, the jailer and all the other prisoners. And there's this miraculous moment where an earthquake happens and the cell opens up. Of course, the guard is like, oh my goodness, I'm going to be killed for this. All the prisoners are going to be set free. So he's ready to kill himself. And they say, no, 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 we're still in our cell. And so that jailer, he looks around and he goes, man, I've been hearing the hymns and songs. I've been hearing the message. I saw this miraculous event. And they're gracious enough to stay in their cell. He says, what must I do to be saved? In verse 30 of chapter 16, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. They went back to his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. Immediate belief, repentance, baptism. We're talking at probably 2 a.m., 3 a.m. in the story because they were singing hymns at midnight. The gospel message demands a response. But that response is not always positive. The gospel message will be rejected. It will be rejected. That's the facts. Okay, we got to be prepared for that. we got to be sober-minded. That gospel message is not always going to be received. It will be rejected. It's not like you take a 16-year-old that, you know, first got their license and you sit down to them and you lie to them and say, oh, yeah, when you get out there on the road, everybody is so courteous. Everybody's going to let you in when you're coming out of a parking lot. You know, oh, it's, it's a joy ride out there on the road. No, with a 16-year-old, you give them the facts. You're sober-minded about it. You're realistic. Look, you will be cut off. You know, you will be sideswiped almost. You will be cursed. You will have messages on people's hands coming at you, right? Like your life may be threatened on the road because that's just the facts. You got to be sober-minded about that. And in the same way, we got to realize this gospel message, this good news, as good as it is, it is going to be rejected at times. You know, the apostles, they were maligned. They were cursed. They were beaten. They were jailed. That's the last story I just told Paul and Silas are in prison for sharing the gospel message. And Jesus warned his disciples about this. He told us, this is the facts. It's going to be hard out there. John chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, Jesus said, keep in mind that it hated me first. So what he's saying to them is, look, when you guys get rejected, you got to understand it's not because people just hate you. It's because they hate what you represent. You represent me. They hate the word concerning me. Thus the parable of the soils that we talked about two weeks ago, right? The message of the gospel, the message of Jesus, the good news is going to go out and it's going to land on all kinds of hearts, sensitive and open hearts, completely calloused hearts, and a lot of hearts that land somewhere in between. At the end of the age, like we talked about last week, Jesus is going to separate the wheat from the weeds. Those who have honestly and genuinely given their lives over to him in faith and those who have rejected this message. So the gospel is a message, a message that demands a response, either acceptance and salvation or rejection and judgment. That means, though, that the gospel must be shared in order to elicit those responses. The gospel must be shared in order to get to those responses. Look what Paul says In Romans chapter 10, verse 12, he says, there is no difference, and he's telling the gospel, between Jew and Gentile. All the old divisions gone away, all right? We're talking, it doesn't matter who you are and where you're from in this world. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. 
For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yeah, that's the gospel message, John 3, 16. Everyone who's going to believe, they're not going to perish. They're going to have eternal life. The apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2. Guys, this promise is for you and it's for your children and all who are far off, all whom our God will call. So look, here's the gospel. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them, using words, giving the message? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent out? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Paul's saying here, everyone has access to this good news. They have access to it if we help them access it, if we share they will be able to respond to this message if we provoke them with this message. But how can they call on the name of this Savior Jesus if they don't know which name to call on? So the popular teaching, there's a popular phrase in the Christian subculture, hey guys, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. That's a a popular teaching through the ages. Preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. I understand it. Maybe it's a good corrective in the right time and place in history, but as a universal principle for what it means for us to share the message of Jesus, it falls short because it almost sets up our words and our actions against each other as if it was either or, like I can only use my life or I'm only using my words. But I'm convinced that the power that we have in sharing the gospel is when we unite the two, when we harmonize the work of our hands with the words on our lips when we live with integrity the life that Jesus has called us into, at the same time that we speak abundantly of the word of Jesus. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that's our job. That's our divine commission. We are ambassadors of reconciliation. God has done the reconciling through Jesus. He's done the difficult work. And now we are the ambassadors, the representatives of that message. And he says here that, God is making his appeal through us. I mean, that's what's so amazing about this divine commission that we've been given to be ambassadors of reconciliation. That literally when we share the message of Jesus, God is actively using us and reaching through us to appeal to somebody to be joined back to him in union. Paul got that. That's why he says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed of it because there is power. God is at work. He is appealing through us, bringing people back to himself. And that's the last thing we need to realize regarding the nature of this message. The gospel message is a message of power. It's a message of power. There is no other message in this world that can bring the forgiveness of sin healing for our spiritual woundedness. There is no other message that can yield eternal life. There is no other message that can reconcile people to God and join them to God's forever family. There there is no other message by which someone will receive the living presence of God in their lives. The gospel message has supernatural, it contains supernatural power. 
Now, having said all this about the gospel, I want to give us a few practical and pastoral applications, things to consider as in we take up this call to be ambassadors for God's good work. For one, I want us to share the gospel without shame. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. No matter what anyone thinks at this time in history, do not be ashamed because the gospel is powerful. Because the gospel is salvation. Because it is spiritual restoration. You know, there is no reason for us to be ashamed of this message. It demands a response, and I think that's what we're afraid of. That some will reject us in their response. But why would anyone reject good news? Everything I've talked about is amazing. All the blessings and the different ways it's conveyed through the scriptures. Why would anyone stand against that? Well, because if Jesus is bringing this solution and this healing, you have to first admit you're wounded. Because the gospel message convicts people of sin. And that's unpleasant for a lot of people. They don't want to hear that they've ever done anything wrong. So what do you do with someone who doesn't want to say they've ever done anything wrong? Who can appeal to that person? Who can appeal to somebody who says, you know what, my mental and emotional and my sexual impulses, they're all perfect. If you think that your mental and spiritual and emotional and sexual impulses are not corrupted, who can get through to you? If you don't want to hear that there is a righteous divine judgment coming for all the wicked injustice in this world, if you don't want to cheer that on, then I have nothing that I can say to you. Those individuals, if they're the ones that we fear, why are we fearing them and the shame that they might cast on us? You know, I'm not unaware of my own state. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I have been humbled in my life, and then I've been humbled again, and then I've been humbled again, and I know what I am in need of. I am in need of grace, divine grace. I am ashamed of something. I am ashamed of my sin. But the gospel, the good news of forgiveness and healing and restoration of that, that's my refuge. That's my relief of that. I will not be ashamed, right? So I want us to be emboldened by the Spirit of God to say, you know what? We're going to share this message, this good news, without shame. Two, we need to share the gospel in our own words. Share it in your own words. The gospel is shared a variety of ways in the scriptures, as I've already demonstrated. I love the way the great evangelist, some would call her the first Christian evangelist, at least in the gospel of John, was the woman at the well, the adulteress. But when she goes away from an interaction with Jesus, the way that she shares about him, she goes to these folks and says, come let me tell you about this man. Come let me show you this man who told me everything I ever did. That was in her own words. You don't see that come up another way in the scriptures and it was such a humble way to share about Jesus because what's everything she ever did there's a lot of ugly things that she had participated in but it was an avenue through which a humble avenue through which to witness to Jesus and that's what I want to tell you guys speak about Jesus your faith in your own words a lot of the times we'll be kept from speaking because we think we have to have the perfect words. We have to understand everything the scriptures say. It has to be wonderfully curated in a particular manner. Man, to witness is to just testify, is to take the stand. And we're always taking the stand in our life and just speaking to what we know, what's true, 
What we've experienced, and your testimony cannot be invalidated by anybody else. Keep in mind, when the disciples were testifying to the work of Jesus in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, the folks around there that were listening weren't taking note of their eloquence. They were taking note of their ordinariness. That's what they saw in the disciples at that point. And I think one of the great errors, oftentimes, of westernized Christianity, American Christianity even, is that we try to over-intellectualize the gospel. And what we end up doing is just showing everyone how smart we are at the same time we make it completely unintelligible for the people who need to hear it the most. Use your own words in sharing the gospel. Be ordinary as you reach ordinary people. Third, share the gospel without worrying about the results. This is hard because our culture is so results-oriented. One of the dangers of America, one of the great despairing realities we have is that a lot of times our identity is fashioned around things that are external. We make who we are all this stuff outside of us rather than things that emerge from within us. So naturally, if you're sharing with somebody and they reject the message, a lot of times our identity is externalized and we say, oh wait, how does that reflect back on my worth and my value, because my worth and my value is all caught up out here. The gospel demands a response, but that response is dictated much more heavily, if not exclusively, by the heart that receives it, rather than the individual who's sharing it. Understand that. The gospel demands a response, but just like we heard in the parable of the soils, what made the difference in each one of those different scenarios? It was the place that the individual's heart was at. You know, you could fumble through what you think is the worst gospel presentation in the world, but if somebody is open and ready to receive, they're like, yes, where's water that I might be baptized? And you could have the most stellar, clear, insightful, piercing message. And a calloused heart's going to walk away and say, well, that was a waste of time. So we can't wrap ourselves up in those results. When the UPS driver drops off my Amazon.com package once a day, does he stand there and wait for me to open it up and see my satisfaction with the consumer good that I purchased? He has nothing to do with that, right? The postman, when they drop off my mail, you know, do they have to listen to me, you know, mumble under my breath about how many credit card offers I'm getting today? No. They have a role. They delivered something. That product was not a product that they had created, you know, and we're ambassadors. We're delivering the king's messages. And if somebody has an issue with that, it's like, well, you know, can I get you in touch with my supervisor? <laughs> you know, like, if you hate this, it's not because of me. I didn't author this. You know, this isn't my stuff. This is the things that I'm carrying on to you. I have a responsibility to do so. And if you have an issue, you can speak to the king. You can speak to the authority in the matter. We need not guilt ourselves in rejection nor glory in receptiveness either, but rest in the power of the gospel through Jesus. Finally, I want us to share the gospel with grace. This is very important that we share with grace. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Be wise. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, those who are not in the faith. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation, your speaking, your words be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Be wise. 
Be wise, everyone, in the way that you relate to outsiders, in the way that you relate. Think about how you're relating to those people who are not in the faith. You are an ambassador of reconciliation. You have that divine commission. That changes the way you utilize your social media platform. That changes the way that you relate to your neighbors in your neighborhood. Let your speaking in all those settings be full of grace, tasty, tasteful, seasoned with salt. But some of our speaking in this Christian subculture has become as bitter as the taste of liver. I think it's because of the hardening and the difficulty of the times and the divisiveness our speaking has become so bitter. And I think on the public platform, for those outsiders, they're looking at us and we've become the anti-group. That's what we're known for. We're anti-science. We're anti-education. We're anti-medicine. We're anti-Hollywood. We're anti-social programs. We're anti-social movements. And I think that's exactly where the devil wants us. Continuing to oppose, 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 and never able to communicate what we stand for. You know, let me tell you, you don't need to support everything I just said. Far from it. I have all kinds of disagreements with all the things in that list. But we can't just stand for bitterness. We can't just stand for anti-everything. I'm just speaking the obvious. We've got to stand constructively for something. You know, I ate liver for a week after I read that it was a superfood on the internet. That's how long it lasted. But I was really fatigued during a a section of my life, and I was willing to do anything. Oh, liver, B12, you know, 800%, superfood, yep, all right, right, I'll buy some. And so I looked up everything online to try to be able to stomach liver. How do you stomach the bitterness, the graininess of liver? And you got to cook it, and it kind of helps. It mostly helps. It does take away a lot of the bitterness. you got to cook it in milk. That's how you remove some of that bitter flavor. Go away. Buy some liver. It's all sold out at Stater Brothers later this afternoon, I'm sure. But in the same way, you think about kind of the bitterness that is characterizing Christianity today. And what do we need, man? We need to be back to basics. Back to the milk, the basics, the elementary teachings of the gospel. That's what can sap all that bitterness out of us and reinfuse our speaking, our words with salt, with grace. Because let me tell you, if the only way that you represent yourself is with this voice of bitterness, if that's the only Christian voice we have, we will lose opportunity. We will have no more opportunity. Because people can only listen to bitterness for so long before they're not listening anymore to anything that we have to say. We must share the gospel with grace. There's so much good news in the good news. There's so many ways to speak about Jesus that don't elevate me to a place of pride over this sinful world, but helps bring me in alongside it and say, that's me, and boasts in Christ. Now, on the other side of this message and this series, my goal is not like, okay, everybody, let's go out there, you know, put on your dress pants, your dress-up shirt, and your tie, and go door-to-door, and let's start our job, our job as ambassadors of reconciliation. Go tell some people about Jesus. It shouldn't be an act. It shouldn't be a suit and tie that we put on. It should be the way we live our lives. 
speaking about Jesus should be as natural to us as breathing because he is the most core part of our identity. We agree on that together as believers. And for some reason, many reasons probably in the last 10, 20 years, many of us have lost our voice to be able to speak of him. We're talking about all kinds of other things. We're getting sucked into every sort of conversation you could possibly have. But you don't hear in all purity, in all goodness, the name of Jesus being lifted up broadly. Maybe we're not speaking it enough. We have so much to share. We have so much to say. And I want it to not be this forced thing that we push ourselves, drum ourselves up to do. But when we're living that integrated life following Jesus... And using our words to speak of Jesus, it should become the only way that we live. That way, Andrew on the stage talking about the gospel is the same Andrew that's in my neighborhood, is the same Andrew that's at the grocery store, the same Andrew on the beach. Jesus is on my lips. We may not be there today. We don't need to be there today, but the Lord is certainly moving us there and hopefully using these teachings to guide us in that direction. Let's ask for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to do the same thing I'm asking for. This morning, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I asked for this many weeks ago, maybe a month ago, just that you would put your name on our lips. Lord, would we be completely unashamed of the good news? Because it is the power of God to bring salvation to all who will believe. Lord, if we aren't speaking your name, no one's hearing your name. If we aren't proclaiming this message, this salvation, no one's receiving this message, this salvation. We know, Lord, this isn't a time in history where people are just flocking to churches. But Lord, you sent us out to be where the people are. God, we know some are going to reject it. Or we not worry about the result. Some will receive it. I received this message. This message is the power of God. It's changed my life. Lord, you changed my life in every conceivable way. You are my refuge. You're my relief. I have so many good things to speak. Lord, we all have so many good things to speak of you. The purpose, the hope, the joy, the peace, the comfort that comes from knowing you, the healing, the transformation and life change. Lord, we've got so many things to say. Why aren't we saying them more? Why aren't we making the most of every opportunity in front of us? Remove those walls. Remove whatever's blocking us and standing in the way that we'd be unafraid. Empower us, Lord inspire us. I pray right now this morning that all who are gathered here, they'd feel that their mouth is just opened up to speak about you, Jesus, in a way that it never has before. They're not going to go around belligerent. Lord, you told us, share the message of peace. If they reject it, shake the dust off your feet and move on. But Lord, there's going to be those who are receptive. So just help us to, to be speaking. Open our mouths to speak. And Lord, inspire us creatively all week long, day in and day out. Lord, you're shaping us. You're you're guiding us. You're changing us. Those are all opportunities to speak about you on every platform that we have. 
So Lord, creatively inspire your, your children, your people this morning, that they would take up those opportunities to speak with salty speech, gracious speech, the good things you're doing. We offer all of ourselves, not just our lives and our obedience, we want to offer our words to you, Jesus. Pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to the Branches HB podcast. For more information on Branches, you can visit our website at brancheshb.com or stay up to date with us on Instagram at brancheshb. As always, we'd love to have you at one of our Sunday gatherings. So come visit us at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m. Locations are available on our website. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.